John's first letter in 1 John, I was uh, <clears throat> thinking about just uh, in the songs that we were singing, something that is of great importance because I understand that, uh, that this fellowship, this church, um, <clears throat> as we teach through the whole counsel of God's word, as we teach line by line, chapter by chapter, book by book, and I believe also how we emphasize um, that we are to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Our maturity in Christ needs to continue to, to grow. That there is, uh, <clears throat> it's our responsibility to um, not remain in the basic elements of our faith, but move on from that um, to feeding off of and being nourished by the meat of God's word. And so sometimes it's, uh, it's difficult. You know, there were many disciples of Jesus that uh, upon him teaching something difficult, um, they, many of them, they turned away from following him. You remember that? We went over that. They turned away. He turned it to his closest disciples and he asked them if they wanted to do the same. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For every, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And although we do teach the, the basics of our faith, we do that. In fact, right now we are providing for everyone in the church a foundations class to make sure that you are well grounded in the basics of the Christian faith, of knowing what it is that you believe, knowing where we stand in Hopefully that we know where you stand, so that way we can partner up in serving the Lord together. But we need to move on from those basic elements, uh, from the milk of God's word. And as we're tested, and this is, this is what my, my desire for you as my brothers and sisters, that when the trials come, when the tribulations come, when difficulties Come, that you are proven through that to have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's something that is revealed in our times of testing. You know, as students, some of you are taking courses, whether it be in high school or whether it be in college, um, you, or you remember those, those times that you were in class. You had these things called pop quizzes. Do you remember that? I did not like pop quizzes. 
And then we had those schedule tests, you know, like chapter reviews, and then we had a chapter test, right? And those were, those were scheduled, and they were, we knew what date and what we were covering in that test, and it was going to be 50 questions and so on and so forth, right? So we had those chapter tests, but then we had like, like quarter tests and semester tests, and then finals. It's like, right? What? I mean, in, at the time, I thought, I, I, I just, I don't like them. I, I don't like participating in them. But what were those quizzes and tests for? They were there for a reason. They were there to reveal your understanding of the subject or subjects. Not only did you know them, but you understood them. You see, they asked the same question sometimes three different ways to see if you, if you really understand or you just memorize the answer of that question being asked this way. I confess, that was, that was me. I, I would memorize things, and I'm, I'm good at memorizing. But you know what? The Lord does the same thing with you and I. We can't say that we're experts in math by simply being in a math class. Any more than we can say we're an expert in English or in writing or in history or in science just because we attend one of those classes. Not only are we tested to see if our retention is there, to see if we have understanding, but even later after the class, did you know that you are tested in those subjects? When you are faced with real-life situations that demand your application in those moments. The reason why we go through Scripture is for us to come to a place of having understanding, an understanding of God's Word to the point to where we're beginning to figure out how to apply these things in real life, to trust the Lord. I am truly sorry. I mourn with you. I grieve with you when you face trials, when someone is told you have cancer and the prognosis is not well. It is not good. I am sorry and I grieve with you when you tell me that you have marital problems. I grieve with you. When your child is not walking with the Lord, when you have challenges with others, I grieve with you. but I want to be as tough as I possibly can with you right now so that as you go through those trials, as you go through those difficult circumstances, that you prove to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, that you prove that your faith is true, not in your circumstances, but in the one who has provided salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we may one day rejoice in His glory. 
That we would not be these infants that are still on the milk, but at some point we grow up and the only thing that we desire is the meat of God's word. I want to know more that I may grow closer to the Lord, that I may have intimate relationship or communion with God through Jesus Christ and then prove myself to be his follower and to glorify him. It's not going to be done by giving you surface kind of topical messages time and time again. It's, it won't happen. It won't work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I say this to you because as we approach 1 John, you, in the first four verses, you get a sense of John's heart. Oh, he is, he is overwhelmed with excitement of who he knows. And I can't help but think, man, we should be excited about this. We should be just as excited as John. I want you to know the one true living God, the one who offered to me salvation and through whom I know salvation and have intimate fellowship with God the Father. The one who has guaranteed me to be in glory. The one who has satisfied the wrath of God toward us in our sin. I want you to know him. You can't help but understand and see his sense of excitement in these first four verses. That your joy may be complete. I am, I am very excited about us going through the first letter of John. Because we're going to learn a lot through this letter. It's fitting because as we consider, we just concluded the Gospel of Mark. This is, you could say, a continuation. This is now taking that and then continuing on into 1 John and seeing what happened after the resurrection and what happened with John after the resurrection and what he knows after the resurrection and what he desires for everyone else to know. And so let's begin. The title of this morning's message is that your joy may be complete. Let's begin 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. It says that, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Oh, Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would minister to us this morning. Help us to know the true source of joy. That we may take our eyes off of our possessions or our bank accounts or our profession or our family or anything else, Lord, and put them squarely on Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the source of a joy that is immovable, 
a joy that is eternal. We can be satisfied in him. And I pray, Father, that you would minister to us this morning. Speak to us. Encourage us. Stir our hearts up. And if there's anything, Lord, that is hindering our communion with you, Father, I ask that you would help us, Lord, to confess those things, giving those completely over to you and completely yielding to the salvation of Jesus Christ and his lordship in our lives that our joy may be complete. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The purpose of this letter was the assurance of a person's genuine fellowship with Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered how you can know whether your relationship with Jesus Christ is genuine or not? If you have, you're not alone. Now, there are many people who have wondered the very same thing. I myself have wondered, how, how can I be sure that my, my faith in Jesus Christ is genuine? It is true. It is sincere. John wanted to make sure that you knew the essentials of faith in Jesus Christ and how to know if, a, if you have a genuine, salvific relationship in Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about him, but knowing salvation in Jesus Christ and you knowing that you are abiding in him, trusting in him, hoping in him, and no one else. The reason John wanted the reader to know is so that your joy may be made complete, full. To be made complete, made full, means to have all the necessary and appropriate parts. To be made entire. Like, there's nothing more that needs to be added. Nothing more that you need. Nothing more is necessary to know joy, to be content, to be satisfied, to know pleasure and happiness. I know that we are prone to seek for things to bring satisfaction, to bring contentment, to bring happiness. It comes in the form of toys and like I prayed, bank accounts, uh, security in, in our jobs, in our relationships with others, and yet if we look to all of those things, we're missing the mark. Those things will always fail us. But there is one who will never fail us. One who is eternal. All those things that I just mentioned are passing. They're vanity. Here one moment and gone the next, and they won't get you into heaven. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. This is coming from a man who had everything. According to the world standards. Oh, he had possessions, he had position, he had authority. He had the respect of the world. The Apostle Paul. And he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. His strength, his satisfaction, his contentment was all Jesus Christ. And nothing and no one else. On the day when Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites were teaching the people scripture... Nehemiah told them, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense. That is, by the way, what we're doing this morning. So that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priests, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way. To eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were, that were declared to them. They understood. But Nehemiah said this to them because they were weeping. They were grieving. They wept because they were filled with conviction. Knowing they had fallen short of glorifying the Lord. As the word of God is, is spoken. This is what was happening in the day of Nehemiah. The word was being spoken. It was being read. And the people began to weep. It's like, man, what's up with that? Right? The word of God is just being read. Why are they weeping? It's because in that moment they realized that they were falling short. That they had fallen short of the glory of God. But Nehemiah, in that moment, he told them to not mourn, don't weep, because this is an occasion to be joyful because, of an, because they had understanding. Therefore, because of your understanding, you are to rejoice. Nehemiah's desire, you see, for them was that their joy might be complete in the Lord. Looking beyond the fact that they had fallen short, knowing that what they had heard could be understood and applied in a way that did bring glory to the Lord. It's the same for us. As, as we come, as we hear the word of God, there might be a moment where you feel a deep conviction. And that's what, what it is. If you feel uncomfortable with something that's being taught according to the word of God, do not dismiss it. Please, because in that moment, the Lord is bringing conviction upon you. That is good. And the reason why that is good, it's not con to condemn you. It's so that we may, may confess, agreeing with the Lord that we have fallen short. And then asking him for forgiveness as we repent of that sin. John did not say anything that wasn't in line with God's desire.
Nehemiah desired that the people's joy would be complete. John's desire is that our joy may be complete. God's desire is that your joy may be complete. And so the question is, is your joy completed in a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you still discontent? Are you still dissatisfied with life? Are you still looking for something to bring you that contentment? And the way to know whether you're content or not is if you're filled with worry, anxiety, if you're, you feel a sense of being dissatisfied, you're not whole, you're not complete. You're not completed. As we see there in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 1, there's just something more. Because we're either filled with joy, completed, or we are not. Just as real as a cup is either filled or it's not. You can see that picture, right? You see a cup and you see it filled a quarter of the way up, halfway up, three quarters, 80%. Is it full? It's not. You know why? Because you can take something else and fill the rest of it up with it and then fill it. And what happens when you add something else to pure water? It contaminates it, right? Just one drop of dye into clear water will make the whole glass of water look red. It'll contaminate the whole thing. We need to be completely full with the Lord himself as we abide in him and he abides in us because we are either completely filled with the joy of the Lord or we're not filled at all. And John was writing to make sure that your joy is made complete with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nothing else is necessary at that point. So we're going to turn our attention to the first chapter of John. But I'm going to begin there. And, and I'm going to point out, as this is also an introduction to John's first letter. I'll point out important phrases that, phrases that John repeats in this letter. The, the supporting reasons to know that our faith is genuine and complete. As he said, I, am, I write or I am writing these things that you, and he, and he finishes that out, just like in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want to point out that verse and also 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That'll be explained. He writes it. That's one of the reasons why he wrote this letter. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, he writes, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he repeats himself 
emphasizing these things. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You get a sense even in the repetition of those verses that he is holding those people accountable. That they know these things, and it's because they know these things that he is writing to them these things that are within the pages of this letter. It's because they know. First John uh, chapter 2, verse 26 I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. We, we are not to be ignorant of the fact that there are people who are trying to deceive you. And sway you, bring you to a place of being distracted and being fooled by something that is not true. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why this letter is so important as we, as we consider that verse alone. Everything that precedes that is helping us understand, hey, do I know eternal life? Do I know a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Well, we're going to find out as we go through. These are the things that we're, we're learning about and we're, we're bringing to the surface and, and asking ourselves, are we in line with God's word that we know these things? Because something else that's repeated is the phrase, by this we know. It's not guesswork. We know. First John, let's go back. First John chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. First John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. There's, there's no, again, no guesswork. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident, plain, clear, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. First John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. First John chapter 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
that he laid down, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And at the conclusion in 1 John chapter 5, verses 18, 19, and 20, the words we know are said four times. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, as he concludes this letter. The understanding we gain through this letter is for the purpose of ensuring we know him who is true. There's no question about that. In that we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. As it says in chapter 5, verse 20. Again, John wanted to make it abundantly clear how to know if we're truly saved. We're not saved. How to know if we genuinely have faith in Jesus Christ or we don't. That you may know that you have eternal life according to chapter 5, verse 13. So we go back to chapter 1. In verse 4, it's the first time, and it is the very emphasis of this whole letter. That we would have joy and nothing else. That our joy may be complete. So again, we begin by asking the questions, is Jesus Christ the source of your joy? Psalm 23.5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And this is in the presence of his enemies. Of the one who placed his trust in Jesus Christ, in God himself, knowing that salvation only comes through, through and by God himself. Even David in that moment was saying, hey, my, my cup overflows. When we, I know for many people, we, we love Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, Right? But keep in mind that the Lord is able to keep. He's able to protect and provide. 
all the way until the time, the day in which we're in his presence. It's in those moments when we are faced with insurmountable difficulties that we need to prove that our cup overflows, that our hope and our trust is in no one and in nothing else. In John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Again, I point to the fact that John's desire was not his desire simply because that's what he desired, but it was because it was God's desire that your joy may be complete. Jesus saying the very thing that can you imagine out of those that he told, in this world you will have, you will experience trials and tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome. And by the way, out of your heart will spring forth these rivers of living water. But we need to keep in mind that it was through those trials, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of persecution, that these rivers of living water would flow. Oh, that's deeply convicting. Because <laughs> I think about my little trials. And I think, uh, is, is any water flowing out? Or am I expecting everyone else to flow into me? You know, you bless me. It's, I, I, I'm the one that is, is very needy. I, we know we're needy. We're all needy, right? But like I said, it's in those moments that we prove something. We either prove that we're falling short or we prove that our hope and our trust and our joy is rooted in Jesus Christ and in nothing and no one else. Those are the times that we prove that. Are we a John or are we a Demas? You see, Demas was a man who was a companion of the Apostle Paul. And he even helped serve, helped Paul and then served alongside him, ministered to him during his first imprisonment in Rome. Demas, he was... He was in the ministry. He was helping the Apostle Paul. He ministered to him while he was in prison in Rome. And yet, apparently after all that time, all that service, all that ministering, he was actually not content in Christ and loved the world more. He proved that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If I can get that out. He deserted Paul and he deserted the ministry. 
And it says why. It's because Demas was in love with this present world. There are some that don't continue because they love the world more than they love the Lord. They prove that. These are not my words. I simply give sense to the word to help you understand it, perhaps to apply it, to help us to be sober about what we have before us. This is just truth. This is just the word of God. Demas was an example of someone who did not continue because he was in love with this world. There are many who do the same thing today. Oh, years and years in the ministry. And at some point, they go back to the world. Why? Well, it's clear. We don't have to wonder. It's for the same reason. It's because they love this present world more than they love Jesus. Well, that's kind of hard. No, it's just true. That's all. So don't need to worry about our feelings, right? About hurting our feelings. It's just true. First John chapter two, verse fifteen says, Do not be do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It, it, it can't be any plainer than that. This is where it's a heart check. It's like, do I love the world? Do I love the things of the world? Am I pursuing the things of the world in order to bring me joy and contentment and satisfaction? Well, it says there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a heart check. For Demas, his joy, he believed, he was fooled into thinking, was not complete in serving the Lord and loving him in walking with him. He was duped into believing that his joy would be fulfilled in the world. Because although he did some works of ministry for a period alongside Paul, Ultimately, his, his dissatisfaction was revealed, and he left. On the other hand, in contrast, we have the Apostle John. He not only desired that the believer's joy would be complete, but that they may be sure of their eternal life. John was so sure of his salvation that he was willing to be tortured, rather than forsake his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even if it meant being boiled in oil or exiled to a remote island, he was not about to forsake his Savior and his Lord. This is in stark contrast. Demas loved the world. He left. John was not willing to leave. Oh, I'm not leaving. Oh, I know in whom I have faith. I, I stand with him through whatever persecution I go through, my trials and tribulation, all of that. Hey, listen. John expresses this even through those times. His joy was complete and he desired that everyone's 
joy would be complete in Jesus Christ as well. I kind of mentioned the wonder in John's introduction, verses 1 through 4 as we read them. In, in those verses, in, in, in those words, John expresses his own joy and wonder. We can't help but see how John, in this letter, in the, with these words, he's expressing awe. He is in absolute awe of God. In his relationship with the Father through the Son, he isn't just overwhelmed. And he desires that we too possess the same wonder, the same awe, the same joy. It's as if John's speech fails him. And he labors to fully express himself. He defines and then defines again in, in just these four verses here. It's like someone, especially a child, that is so excited that they repeat themselves. As they go on and on and on and on and on and on about something that they're in awe about. Right? Oh, son, you know, tell me about. Oh, dad. So this and then, and then this and, and then you wouldn't believe this. And then, oh, over here we saw this. And then it's like, okay, all right, slow down. I, I can't, I'm not catching everything, right? But you... You see how excited that person is. This is John here. He's just so excited. He's defining and defining. He's repeating himself. We know that that's not good storytelling, right? It's not. If you take a class in storytelling, that's not good storytelling. But this book isn't about the technical aspects of storytelling. You see, it's a story of redemption, and John knows it. He knew it was much more than just the history of God's people, the law, and observing it. Oh, it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Salvation has come. Did you know that verses 1 through 3 is one sentence? <gasps> you got to take breaths in between, right? So I was telling you, just imagine this, right? John's writing. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. One sentence. But you know, if anything was impeding John's faith, then he wouldn't have expressed himself in this way. He would be distracted with his circumstances and write about them. But he didn't. In Revelation, did he write extensively about his exile in Patmos? Nope. How about him being boiled in 
oil to try and kill him? No? Persecution? No, none of those things. He could have written about many personal trials and tribulations. He could have. But he didn't. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. Close quote. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Except if you're facing trials and tribulation, any anxieties, worries, concerns that are overwhelming you in life regarding... No, it doesn't, right? It doesn't say that. You see, every single day, every single thing has a purpose in Christ. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And so this is how John began his letter, that your joy may be complete. That which was from the beginning in verse 1 speaks of the eternal God who was before all things. John referred to the God who existed before he created all things and created all things, according to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was God, and he created all things. This is who he was referring to. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the God who he's referring to. You see, John was referring to the eternal God concerning the Word of life, as it says in verse 1, who existed before the world was created, the God who is the source of everything that exists, and the God who sustains all that exists. This is who he's referring to. He said, we have heard, seen, looked upon, touched, and also keep in mind as I want to point out that in these first four verses, he uses the word we to identify that it's just not him, but it's also many witnesses that can testify of the same thing in that day. Because John is making it abundantly clear that the eternal God has revealed himself clothed in flesh and they had heard him with their ears, seen him with their eyes, intently studied him as they heard him and listened to him and have even touched him physically. We know John leaned up against him, right? Thomas was invited to put his hand in his side put his finger in the wounds of Jesus Christ. Jesus invited his disciples to come and eat with him. Physically, he said, this is the God that I'm talking to you about. God revealed himself to man in the most basic way. God revealed himself in a way that anyone can relate to and understand just as real as we are sitting here today, as we shake hands and embrace and share in conversation, in that same manner, John and the rest of the disciples and the apostles shared in a relationship with Jesus Christ in the flesh. God become flesh and dwelt among men. 
It was no myth, it was no fable or fabricated and embellished legend, but rather John spoke of a physical man. You see, the Gnostics in that day and today falsely teach that Jesus was God, but that he wasn't an actual physical man. He was a a phantom, a ghost of some sort. And John was absolutely refuting those false allegations with abundance evidence to the contrary. You're saying we. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you this. I'm testifying of this. But there are many who can testify of this truth. Many witnesses. Verse 4 and throughout says, and we are writing these things to you. John is referring again to multiple witnesses that know this is true and desire the very same thing. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And first John chapter 15 I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. It's not too much for Jesus to have appeared to the apostle Paul as he did to the rest when he did. 500 at one time. So John is proclaiming to his audience as we are his audience in his letter that he has seen the Son of God in the flesh testifying along with many others who attested to this truth for the purpose of knowing fellowship in Christ. The Greek Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia is knowing an intimate communion that is a common union, a oneness, a a togetherness, sharing, a mutual participation, literally shared by all, one. Communion is seen throughout the one another statements. Romans 12.10, it says to be devoted to one another and honor one another. Romans 12.16 we are to live in harmony with one another. Romans 15.7, we are to accept one another. Galatians 5.13, we are to serve one another. Ephesians 4.32, we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. And the one another is continue on. This is communion. This is koinonia. That's why it's impossible to have communion apart from the body of Christ. Try and do that. Try and do these things apart from the body. Now do you understand that it is sin to, to separate yourself from the body because your joy is not complete because you're not demonstrating the love for the people of God as you show a love for God and obey his commandments. 
Because one another is impossible without, without fellowship, like physical fellowship with one another. It's impossible. This fellowship is what every genuine believer in Jesus Christ desires, that others may know with God and participate in with each other. The key word is, is genuine. This is a test. It's a very serious test. It's not something to come and just listen to and just walk away and, man, it was good for the moment. I was stirred up. I, I was moved. No, this time is for us to consider the truth of God's word and determine where we stand I pray that we, too, would be able to proclaim with the Apostle John the very thing that he was proclaiming, eternal life in Jesus Christ, the manifestation of his life in the form of a man who came to give himself for us, for you and I, shed his blood on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. John and company testify that they had seen and heard the eternal Son of God, that they had touched and looked upon the eternal Son of God, and testify and proclaim that the eternal Son of God manifested himself in the flesh, that we may know fellowship. The fellowship with, a fellowship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, so that our joy may be completed. John's desire, as it is God's desire, is that your joy may be complete in Christ. Is it complete in Christ? In John chapter 15, and we're coming to a close, and this is but the beginning of this letter. This is a basic introduction to this letter. In John chapter 15 and verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And in John chapter 17, verse 13. Jesus said, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the wor world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. See, Jesus has come that we may have life in that more abundantly. This is the abundant life that is spoken of, is referred to. It's a completed joy. Satisfaction, a contentment known only 
by completely surrendering your lives to Jesus Christ, having hope in no one else but him. As we read those few verses there, Jesus desires, as we see there, that you may have his joy fulfilled or satisfied in you. But this is only possible by knowing a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. So the question for us, as we just went through briefly what we went through, do you know him not only as Savior, but do you also know him as Lord? Is he the one in whom your joy is complete? For it is his desire. And I pray that it is. It begins by knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It begins there. Knowing there, there is no other way. To the Father is joy evermore. For all eternity, one day we will know that. Acts 4.12 says that there's salvation in no one else, no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned fall, and fall short of the glory of God. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And even after that, if you want to know that your salvation is genuine, your relationship with Jesus Christ is genuine, look no further than 1 John. As we go through, we will realize where we stand and I pray, I hope that wherever we fall short, that we would confess that to the Lord. Ask him to strengthen us, to fill us with the spirit to overflowing, that our cup may runneth over, that nothing else would be able to be fit into that cup, that our joy may be complete in Christ alone. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have offered this by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you desire that our joy may be complete in him. I ask, Lord, this morning that as we consider that, that if anything else is added to that cup, Lord, to somehow pursue a joy that is fleeting, that is vain that is empty, Lord, that, that we would hand that over to you, for that is idolatry, Lord, and we will never find joy in anything other than Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on him, in him alone, that we may not only endure, but we would persevere through trials and tribulation in, in proving that we truly belong to you and that our faith is is rooted and grounded and we stand upon our salvation in Jesus Christ in, in what is true. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. And Lord, thank you. Lord, that as we see here, John is so excited. He is in awe. And he and the rest of the apostles, the disciples, Lord, are all desiring the same thing. 
that our joy may be complete. And so, Father, speak to us. Pray that, Lord, that you would remind us of this word and help us to know that our salvation is found in you. Lord, you are gracious, you are merciful. Oh, you are so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.